Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Well, um, we have got a phenomenal speaker this morning. I am biased because I am married to him, but he is phenomenal. Adam Heather is the um, Director of Operations for the 24-7 Prayer Movement. Um, he's also, along with myself, the pastor for our evening service, um, which meets every week at 6.30 down in Founders. You'd be welcome to pop in sometime if you'd like to. And, um, and Adam is also just a phenomenal communicator and anointed teacher. And the bonus with being married to him is that I can tell you that he's for real. He's the real deal. And the stuff that he talks about and the principles that he shares, this is the stuff that he lives. So, Adam, why don't you come up? Why don't we welcome Adam? And I'm just going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill Adam, that you would use his words this morning to speak to us. God, would you give us ears to hear your word this morning? And I do pray that um, for each one of us that you would speak to us, God. We want to hear from you. Amen. Isn't she lovely? (laughs) Well, good morning. My name's Adam. Um, And today we are going to be carrying on our series looking at the gifts of the Spirit. Last week, uh, Hannah shared and we looked at prophecy together. And uh, this week we're going to be looking at healing and the gift of of healing. So there is a story about Gandhi, the uh, independence movement, the the leader for the Indian independence movement, the modern symbol for civil rights and peace. And so there's a story where uh, a, a mother brings her young daughter to Gandhi uh, because she has a problem and basically goes up to Gandhi and says, Gandhi, my daughter is addicted to sweets. Can you please help her? Gandhi thinks for a moment and says, yes, but only if you bring her back here in six months' time. The mother and the daughter go away. Six months go by, and they return. And uh, and she says, Gandhi, do you remember me? My daughter is still addicted to sweets. Uh, You said that if I brought her back after six months' time, you'd be able to help her. Gandhi says, okay, takes the daughter away. They talk for a few minutes. The daughter comes back to the mother and says, Mum, I'm no longer addicted to sweets. The mum's like, that's amazing, that's so good. And she turns to Gandhi and says, Gandhi, I don't understand. I'm so grateful for what you've done, but I don't understand. Why couldn't you have done this six months ago? Why did I have to go away for six months? He looks her in the eye and says, I'm so sorry. You see, the problem was six months ago, I was addicted to sweets. (laughs) And I think, to be honest, When it comes to healing, I feel a little bit like Gandhi, you know? I feel a little out of depth when it comes to healing. I have been in rooms where I've seen people stand out of wheelchairs and run around the room. I've played in football matches where someone's got injured and a group of people have prayed for them. They've got right back up and carried on playing. But I've also been in rooms where people have come and asked me to pray for them with, you know, the most terrible, painful conditions and nothing's happened. 
right? And we live in that tension. And so I feel a little bit like Gandhi. And I know for other people here, some of you will have experienced amazing healing. You would have prayed for people and seen God do amazing things, or maybe you've been prayed for and uh, God's done amazing things for you. Maybe give me a show of hands if you've ever seen a healing, a miraculous healing. Look at that. Just look around the room. That's, that's amazing. But the truth is, I know that for others, healing right now will be a painful subject. Maybe you're suffering yourself. Maybe you're mourning or you know someone who is suffering greatly. And while we can't cover everyone's experience from the front, and for this series, we are looking at growing in the spiritual gifts, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Collectives are a great place to process these questions and to process these emotions. And also, Pete has written an amazing book, God on Mute, which really looks at his and Sammy's journey with, um, with unanswered prayer. And so I do suggest you get that. But as sensitive as it can be, we can't afford to change the subject when it comes to physical healing. It was a fundamental part of the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 9.35 says, He came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and demonstrated the good news through the cleansing of the leper and the opening of blind eyes. Did you know that roughly one-fifth of all the verses in the gospel are given over to Jesus' physical healing ministry? One-fifth. The Son of God, three years to save the world and show the world what God is like, and one-fifth of that is given over to his physical healings. There is more attention given to healing than the ministry of Jesus in any other one kind of experience recorded, including salvation. It talks about healing more than salvation. And so today, as we explore and we delve into this subject together, we're going to be looking at three A's, because apparently that's what we do here in Emmaus. Lots of things that will start with the same letter. So we're going to be looking at attitude, authority, and assignment. Attitude, authority, and assignment. And so first of all, attitude. Well, the, the question I want to put to you is why? Why was Jesus so passionate about physical healing? Well, I think it's because Jesus's entire mission was to transform brokenness into wholeness. Luke 9.56 says, Jesus is saying this of himself, the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The word save there is the, is the word sozo. Okay, and it doesn't just mean healing. What sozo encompasses, that word, this profound word, when Jesus says that he comes to save men's lives, it includes the whole entirety of a person. It's the forgiveness of sins, the freedom from torment, and the healing from disease. And so in there, do you see this kind of triune being of who we are that Jesus is looking to restore? Forgiveness for the spirit, freedom for the soul, and healing of disease for the body. Jesus came to save men's lives. And we see this even in the healings performed by Jesus. Have you ever wondered why Jesus seems to do such strange things when he heals people? Right? Have you ever noticed that? And I've 
we'll talk about a few in a second. And I've, and I've heard preachers and people say that it's because he was trying to suggest that there wasn't any pattern. You know, there wasn't a cookie-cutter method that we can just steal and be like, this is the way to do it. And, and I agree with that. I think that is part of the truth. But I think it is actually far more beautiful than that. I think that what Jesus is doing when he heals people is that he is trying to restore the entirety of that person. So what am I talking about? Well, on two occasions, Jesus uses his spit to heal a blind person. One time, he, he sort of spits in the mud and he forms this like paste and he wipes it into the guy's eye. And another time, he just misses out the middleman altogether and just spits straight in the guy's eye, right? And have you ever wondered why? You know, why? Why, why spit in the guy's eye, Jesus? WWJD, what would Jesus do? He'd spit in your eye. Well, these blind people would have been beggars, right? Life and death hanging on their ability to persuade people to give them some loose change. Literally, no welfare system. Life and death hanging on their ability to persuade someone to give them mercy. I wonder how many times their attempts would have been met with insult, hate, disdain, and <laughs> Right? They were throwing themselves at the mercy of people, and so often they would have been met with hate. But then they come into contact with grace incarnate. And isn't it just like Jesus to take the very symbol of their subjugation and use that to be the thing that restores them back into wholeness? Right? For the rest of their lives, whenever they heard the sound of... So sorry, Peter, about your mind. I was hoping I'd have like a little Madonna mic so that wouldn't happen, but it didn't work out. For the rest of their lives, whenever they heard that sound, they would no longer think about the years that they spent in poverty being met with hate, they would remember grace incarnate who brought healing and restoration into their lives. Stunningly beautiful ministry of Jesus restoring the whole person. In Matthew 8, Jesus cleanses a leper and it's the only person that he says, go and present yourself to the priest. Right? It can't have been like a fundamental for healing because he doesn't say it to anyone else. So why? Well, Lepers were forced to be isolated. They were sent outside the camp. So what Jesus is saying is that he is cleansing the leper. And to the leper, he says, go and present yourself to the priest. Because suddenly what he's doing is he's breaking the disease, but he's also breaking the isolation the person felt and immediately inviting them back into the community of faith. It's this sozo, this healing of the whole person. Or my favorite is the woman with a flow of blood in Matthew 9. Let me paint the picture. So Jesus and his disciples are on the road somewhere. But there is a lawbreaker in the midst. There's a woman. She's had a flow of blood for 12 years. The Mosaic law demands that she isolates herself. But she has suffered greatly. And so she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just reach out, I'm not worthy to talk to Jesus. I'm not worthy to ask for a healing. But if I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, and he, she experiences healing from the hem of his garment. But what does Jesus do? Not satisfied to just let her have her healing, he turns around and says, who touched me? Who touched me? 
And do you know why she doesn't instantly reveal herself? Because she is worried that she will be thrown out, that she will be called unlawful. But what Jesus says is stunning. And what he says couldn't be said with a scowl. Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Do you see, breaking the pain, but also accepting her back into approval. It's this stunningly beautiful thing. So I'm just going to invite Mike right now. Mike Crown is amazing. Most of you know him. He's a, he helps me and Hannah lead the evening service. And he's seen some incredible healings in this time. And so I just asked him to come and share a few. Yeah, cool. So um, the first was uh, we were at the Dublin gathering for 24-7 prayer. Make sure you get along to Birmingham, little plug. And um, I was chatting to these three guys from Sweden. It was during the party. It was like a Kaylee. And one of them was a professional snowboarder, but he'd snapped his wrist. And as a result of snapping his wrist, he could no longer snowboard. And he was starting to lose sponsorship deals. It's starting to affect his life. So I just said, and he could move it like that like a little bit like that. And I was like, can we pray for God just to fully heal it? And I had a really bad track record with healings. Like I pray for people, they get worse. It was like, it wasn't good. And so um, I just said, can we just pray? And I had a little bit of faith and I just went, okay, Lord, do it. And he instantly just went, oh, cool. And he was instantly healed, miraculously healed. And it meant that whole alignment, it meant that his career his future, the worries were just instantly healed. And um, I have two really dear friends, Ken and Jeannie Morgan in Watford. And we have the honor of going with them and doing a lot of inner healing prayer for people, something that they've done for me and we get to do for others. And we were praying, uh, there was a group of um, ladies and this lady had scars all up her arms from self-harming, talking deep cuts. Um, but the Lord had done a lot of work in her life, and it kept reminding her of who she used to be and not who she was. And so she pulled down, I'm not trying to like emote the story, she pulled down her sleeves, and Ken, who used to be an accountant, who's the most like, just blasé man, not that accountants are blasé, <laughs> thank you for all you do, but uh, you <laughs> it's a wonderful job, and she pulled down her sleeves and she prayed and we prayed and as she pulled up her sleeves they were gone just instantly miraculously gone and tears streaming down her face and she just met with a father who loved her and it was that whole thing again of just the restoration and she left knowing that not only what was inside was also physically on her God heals come on thank you Mike yeah. give God a clap And so at the root, healings are demonstrations of power, but acts of compassion. Demonstrations of power, but acts of compassion. You know, we call them signs and wonders for a reason, because signs point to something. We know that God is Christ-like, and there is no unchrist-likeness found within him. And so what we see, what the sign of healings like that point to, is a God who is declaring two things. He is mighty, and he is good. One New Testament scholar, Alan Richardson, says it like this. Miracles of healing are, as it were, symbolic demonstrations of God's forgiveness in action. And it's important that we understand that heaven is moved by faith 
right? That's what the Bible teaches us. Heaven is moved by faith. But our understanding of the goodness of God becomes the boundaries of our faith. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, take that example, for instance. A lady who's been self-harming, you might legitimately say, well, it's her fault. And so to that, do you have a God who is so good that he would even choose to, to heal that? Does that fall within the boundaries of your understanding of the goodness of God? Because if something falls outside of that, how can you have faith for something you don't believe that God would ever do? So we've got to understand the goodness, the profound goodness of God, that sozo healing, that he is here with a mission to bring wholeness to each and every person, regardless of what they've done. And so that's the first of our A's. What's God's attitude? What's our attitude towards healing? The second is assignment. So just before we did this series on the spiritual gifts, we looked at a series on discipleship. And um, discipleship is basically the call to follow and obey Jesus. It's to be moved by what moves him, to love what he loves, and to hate what he hates. In Matthew 16, 16 to 18, we read what obedience looks like. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. There is an, um, there's a great story about John Wimber who planted the vineyard movement, which is still, you know, got thousands of churches around the world today and is well known for his healing ministry. Well, so his journey, as he tells it, into, into healing, into his healing ministry, is a really interesting one because he was seven years into ministry. He had a church. They were seeing incredible things. They had baptized several thousand people. They were planting churches. And he's doing a study with his church around Luke. And he gets to Luke 3, and he's like, man, the whole of Luke is just about Jesus healing people. Right, so much of it. And he just hears the voice of the Lord say, John, I want you to pray for sick people in church on Sunday. And John's like, nah, we don't do, like that's not for us, right? That's for like witches and wizards and you know, that sort of thing. It's not for us Christian people. But Jesus is like, We said, Matthew sixteen, you lay hands on the sick, the sick people would be made well. So that that Sunday he does an altar call. Many people come forward for healing, and he's like, not a single person got healed. Not a single person. And so the next week, the Lord asks him to do it again. Not a, not a person gets healed again. Eight or nine weeks into this, and he's ready to give up. But the Lord says, John, keep praying for sick people. He's like, by this point, my church had halved. I was getting letters, you know, you know, in your bad place when you're getting letters and your church is halved. But God's like, keep going. You've got to do this. A year in, they have done altar calls every Sunday for healing. Not a single person has been healed. And John says, at that moment, I was at the front and I broke down and I wept. And he's like, I'm not an emotional man. Broke down and I wept. And I was like, God, this is not fair. 
Your word says that if I did what I was called to do, then you do what you were called to do, and you're not doing what you're called to do, even though I'm doing what you've called me to do. How many people have been there, right? You remember that? And he just breaks down and he sobs. The very next day, so that was Sunday, Monday morning before work, he gets a phone call from a person who's just joined the church. And the person says, John, I've got a new job, but my wife is incredibly sick and she needs to be home to look after my children or I can't go to work and I'm going to lose my brand new job. Will you please come over and pray for her? So John jumps in the car. The whole way there, he's like, God, you've got to come through on this one. You... You've got to come through on this one. He gets there, and he hopes that, you know, she's probably sick, but maybe he could kind of persuade her to feel better, you know. How many of us have been there? And, um, but he goes in, goes into the house, and he's like, and suddenly his heart sinks when they don't go to the living room. They go straight to the bedroom, and, they f- and he looks at the wife, and she is, like, sick, you know. She's, like, lying down. In fact, he said she must have been sick because no woman would ever let him see her in that condition unless she was really sick, right? And so she's there. And he starts praying. He says, I mumbled some terrible prayer. And before I'd even finished, I turned around and was already explaining to the husband why God occasionally doesn't heal people. How many of us have been there, right? And he says that he turns around and he sees this guy, and he was a big guy. And he looks over his shoulder and he starts beaming. And John's like, what are you smiling at? He turns around and he sees that the wife has already got up, put her coat on, and was making the bed. And he turns around and he says, quote, what happened to you? And she says, you healed me. He's like, no, I didn't. I don't heal anyone. But she was like, well, you healed me. And uh, the husband went to work and kept the job and everything. He goes out and he, uh, he goes out and he celebrates and he's driving home. And he says it was the first time he had a vision, like a proper vision from God. And he looks out over the horizon And he sees like this rich honeycomb pouring down onto hundreds and hundreds of people. And he's like, God, what is this? And God says, John, this is my mercy. There is more than enough for anyone. You are never to plead with me for healing again. Isn't that stunning? This is my mercy. There's more than enough for everyone. You are never to plead with me for healing again. Again, but this is the tension we find ourselves in, right? That we pray, we pray with faith, and some people are healed and some are not. And having spoken to a lot of people, I find that people in their sort of pursuit of needing to find an answer to why, to the why question, they can end up falling into one of two unhelpful camps. One, they either start saying, well, I know what the Bible says, but God must have just not wanted to heal. You know, they go over here, they start saying, it must have just not been God's plan. It must have not been his will. Or they go over here and they start saying, oh, it's your lack of faith, or it's my lack of faith, or it's the person we're praying for's lack of faith. And neither of these are the truth, right? We stand in the tension between these two things when the truth is we don't understand, There is a spiritual warfare going on, and we just don't know all the rules of engagement. But the Bible just tells us one thing. Just go out and pray. Just pray for the sick. God actually didn't ask us to have all of the answers, but he did ask us to go out and pray for the sick and carry on his great mission of bringing wholeness to people. 
But in amongst all of that, we get the permission to ask questions. Do you know that Islam means submission and obedience to God? It's just what the word means. Whereas Israel, the word that God gave to his people means to wrestle with God. Do you see the contrast? Even in the name that he gave to his holy people, God gives us permission to wrestle with him with some of the questions we don't understand. It's beautiful. He's able to handle your questions and your pain. But in amongst all of that, we're called to have faith. Some of you will know Roger Ellis. Um, He's one of the kind of fathers, overseers of this church. He brings guidance and wisdom to us. We're so grateful for him. Well, his daughter, she's in her early 20s, early to mid-20s, and at the beginning of the year, she got diagnosed with a brain tumor. Like a really nasty one. I mean, they're all nasty, but this one was like particularly nasty at the back of her neck, and she got rushed into hospital. She's had a whole load of surgery. We've had countless people praying for her. But there's this amazing story of her faith where the chaplain in the hospital came up to her, and um, knowing that she was a Christian said, has this rocked your faith? And she looks him dead in the eye and says, no. Without my faith, what else would I have? And then through slurred words, because of the way the tumor was growing on her speech part of her brain, she turns around to Roger and says, I need you to find me a chaplain with more faith. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Just called to have faith, even in the questions. Because in the struggle, we know that the kingdom is now and it's not yet, right? We tap into it now, but we know that it's going to come in fullness one day. And I want to be someone who explores and discovers everything that is available now. Like, I believe that's my assignment. God said, go out and heal the sick. I want to believe there is now. Like, there is now. I don't want to put it all off until not yet. But in amongst all of that, I know every loss is temporary. And every victory is eternal. Every loss is temporary, but every victory is eternal. As Billy Graham says, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. I've read the last page. It's all going to turn out all right. Todd White um, is quite a big name. He, he goes around. He speaks at a lot of these big conferences now. And you might have seen him. A lot of videos kicking around Facebook of things that he did. He used to be a professional hockey player. Um, and now he goes around. He's got an incredible healing ministry. And by that, all I kind of really mean is that he sees quite a lot of people get healed that he prays for. But when he first got saved, he read the Bible, and he just was like, okay, God says go out and pray for sick people. And so he did. He said that he prayed for 10 to 12 a day. And it was about his 700th that got healed. 10 to 12 a day, but he just didn't have anyone readdress his theology. He just was like, I don't know. I don't think it's this. I'm sure it's not this. Let's just keep praying for people. 700 people. Do I understand why? And after 700, he started seeing more people get healed? Nope. I could give you some vague insights, but no, I don't really know. But it tells me one thing. People who pray for more people see more people get healed, right? People who pray for more people see more people get healed. And so I kind of want to finish. We've looked at attitude 
and assignment. Then we're going to look at authority. And then we just want to pray for some people because that's what the book tells us to do, right? That's what God tells us to do. Authority. Have you ever noticed how simple most of Jesus and the apostles' prayers are? They're stuff like, be clean, get up, come forth, rise. It's like two words or one word. Get up, be clean, come forth, spit in the eye. Like That's the kind of thing that Jesus did when he was healing people. Because Jesus came to preach the kingdom. Right? That was his message. If you look up in your Bible in Matthew 4, the first gospel, the first book to talk about Jesus, Matthew 4, about halfway through, there'll probably be a section. In my Bible, it's entitled, Jesus Begins His Ministry. And what's his message? It's really simple. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And repentance isn't so much about saying sorry. Repentance means to change the way you're thinking and therefore to change the way you're acting. So what Jesus is saying is change your thinking and acting to the realization that the kingdom of God, the king's domain, is within reach. Okay? He doesn't say it's up there. He doesn't say it's in the future. He doesn't say it's a correct number of lifestyle choices away. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. Just stick out your hands for a sec. Just look at them. Just say the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within reach. Stunning. There are two verses that when you put them together both excite and deeply challenge me. The first is John 21-25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them was written down, I suppose the whole world, the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Three years. The Bible says that if you try to write down everything that Jesus did, the whole world would not be able to contain everything that he did. Okay? Hold that. Second verse, John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things, because I am going to the Father. What? It's unbelievable. But that's the problem. Jesus said it so that it would be believable. All the world could not contain the works that Jesus did in three years. Very truly. When Jesus says very truly, I really want to pay attention because it's like everything that Jesus says is true, but then he's like, this is really true, right? Very truly, I tell you, you're going to do even greater things than these because I'm going to be with the Father and you're going to be sent the Holy Spirit. And that's the power and the authority that is at hand. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, said, I don't wait for a move of God. I am a move of God. I don't wait for a move of God. I am a move of God. We know that we carry the spirit and the authority of the name that is above all names. And if it is above all names, it means that every other name must bow. Cancer, HIV, arthritis, migraines, paralysis, epilepsy. Whatever you name falls into that, all names must bow to the name of Jesus. Because he is the name above every name. 
And the Bible says, by the 39 stripes on his back, one less than would kill a man, he bore our healing. Past tense, he bore our healing. And it's important for us to remember that it is God who heals and not us. For two reasons. One, it means the only qualification you need to see people healed is to believe in the name of Jesus. It's the only qualification you need. Last week we found the only qualification you need to be able to prophesy is to be a sheep. It's amazing what you can do by just being a sheep in the kingdom. Healing, prophecy, it's all available because it's all about him. And secondly, we don't carry the pressure of seeing people healed. One person to me said it best. If you don't plan to take the glory when someone is healed, you can't take the shame or the guilt when they're not. If you don't plan to take the glory when someone is healed, you can't take the guilt and shame when they're not. Mike Andrea, who's a friend of this church, he's spoken here a lot. He sits on the oversight team um, of 24-7. He's a good friend. He leads a church there called Global Community Church, GLOW for short. And he shared a story with me this week, which is stunning, about a lady in their church who had paralysis down her right leg, all the way from the thigh. She couldn't feel anything. Apparently, just before, I mean, you know, little thing, she's going to get healed a second in the story, but um, she was cutting her toenails, and because she had so little sensation, she accidentally cut into the skin and didn't realize until it all started bleeding. Well, her little five-year-old boy found out about healing. And so he looked at her, and this was his prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love my mum, and I know that you're not happy with her leg right now. Would you, come and pick, would you come and fix it, please? Amen. And apparently, immediately, feeling came back into the leg. She was able to walk on it straight away, and she had a doctor come and say, you know, authenticate the healing in A&E. Stunning prayers. There is no junior Holy Spirit right? It's just the Holy Spirit. You carry him. It's the name. All you need to do is believe in the name that is above all names. And so we just want to end, and then I'm going to invite Mike back up in a sec. Um, some people had asked me just to share like a model for healing, because sometimes it can be like awkward to know how to do it. And so I'm sure loads of people don't need this, but if it's helpful, I just want to kind of give it to you. It was actually John Wimber came up with it. It's called the five-step prayer for healing, the five-step model prayer for healing, whatever. The first one's really simple. Ask them what's wrong. He calls it the interview. Just find out what's going on. But there's something that's really helpful here, and it's something that I see quite a lot when people are praying for healing. Oftentimes, it's really easy to get like deep into their story because we carry compassion, right? And so you start healing about you know the pain and the suffering and all of that, and you have empathy. That's all good stuff. But right now, what you're trying to do is hold on to faith. And the problem is, is that you can't become more impressed by the problem you're facing than by the solution you carry. And so just ask them simply, what's going on? Where does it hurt? How long have you been in pain? Like there's a whole load of pastoral care that can come afterwards, but in this moment, you're trying to raise faith. So just simply ask them. Two. So you've asked them, interview, prayer selection. This is where you just decide what you want to pray for. You know, ask the Lord. Just listen to the Holy Spirit for a second. Is there something that he's telling you to pray into? Right, he's the great physician. Physician. He might be saying, you know, pray for this or pray for that. Pray in this certain way. So just listen to him for a moment. And then 
you know, if, if healing is an authority issue, then oftentimes what we need to do is pray with a commandment and not with petition. You know, so you pray this thing, Lord Jesus, in your mighty name, I just pray for this disease to go. You know, it's, a, it's an authority prayer, not a petition prayer. And then third, once you've decided how you're going to pray, you know what you're praying for, just pray for the person. And in that place, there can be a real temptation to dilute our prayers down in case it doesn't happen. But just have faith, speak with faith. And also, no prayers in the New Testament start with, if it be your will. And I hear people praying like that quite a lot. And this is especially important if you're out on, on the street and you're praying for people who aren't Christians. They don't want to hear you praying for your own unbelief. Right? It's not to say, I believe that God wants to heal you. Lord, if it be your will, we've just said, I believe that God wants to heal you. So command, and if it's helpful, just use biblical truths. You know, Remember, by his stripes we are healed. God is your healer. Fourth, stop and ask again. You know, and be specific. Have you felt any change? Do you feel anything going on? Like oftentimes people will feel like a heat or an electricity or a numbness. If they don't, that's absolutely fine. Just, just ask. Find out what's going on. And if they're happy, pray again. There's one example in the Bible where Jesus had to pray twice. It's in Mark 8. And he's praying for a blind person and he asks him and it says that he sees shapes like trees like blurry shapes, and Jesus prays again, and he gets his full healing. So don't be afraid to pray twice. And pray until you either feel the Spirit has finished working or the person has had enough. And then finally, follow up. Make sure that regardless of what has happened, the person leaves knowing they are loved by God. And then you might want to emphasize that not all healing happens straight away. I was actually chatting to Julia, remembering the story of him when Josh got healed. And he was prayed for at Soul Survivor about he'd had surgery on his elbow and he couldn't extend his arm out. It was two days later, as he was doing chin-ups, if I remember, that he suddenly was like, wow, my arm's been healed. I don't know if he got healed sometime in the thing while he was asleep. Or Sometimes we don't see healing for a couple of days. And so you can encourage people with that. But the truth is, just make sure that everyone feels loved. And so we want to pray for some people, you know, authority, assignment and attitude and so I'm just going to invite Mike up and um, maybe we could have the band up as well if they're here um, sometimes God gives you know last week we looked at prophecy sometimes God gives words of knowledge just little insights into what might be going on and so I asked Mike to just be praying about whether or not he felt like the Lord was wanting to do anything so